Amen. Thank you, Trio, for that. That was a blessing. That, that should get you excited, just the thought of how the gospel saves us. And um, again, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Michael Scott and uh, assistant pastor at Bible Baptist Church under Pastor Hardy. And I have my wonderful wife over here, Mandy. Stand up for a second, Mandy. She takes care of me. She does a good job. Not just a good job. She does a great job. I think that I probably would have had to forego Georgia if she didn't take care of me. So she does a wonderful job of taking care of me. And I really have enjoyed the privilege of being here with you today and just flying in, uh, just thinking about the people of Canaan and just Brother Billy just asking me to come and preach. And just want to say thank you for the privilege of just being here today. Because you know what? I, I believe that many of you could stand up here and give a testimony and tell a story about how God has saved you. And yet at the same time, I feel this an honor that I get the privilege to do that. Also, too, it's just good to see people join. I, I hope you don't get used to that. Amen. I, hope it, I hope it's like, well, another person coming to the church. I, I hope you're like, man, you know what? Praise the Lord. Amen. Look at God work. You know, those take some deliberate decisions. That you don't get baptized accidentally if it's real. Right. You had a deliberate decision to make, and that is deliberate. <clears throat> and I was just thinking about men's advance. It's coming up, and it's coming fast. So I want to invite you to come. We've been working on men's advance since de December now, and we're excited. But the mo for me, preaching is almost like, whoo, this is heavy. But it's always exciting just to, just to be a part of just the thought of helping men become godly men. Amen. The thought of homes becoming godly homes. Amen. Kids having godly fathers, wives having godly husbands. And just what that really means. And, and just to be a part of that, I'm very humbled in a real sense. I just want to take time to and just kind of give you a brief testimony about Michael Scott. I grew up in the great state of Texas. Hey, don't turn me off now. <laughs> don't turn me off. I did. I grew up in the great state of Texas, southeast Houston. And um, I didn't go to church. I mean, I know that sounds crazy for a black person to be in the South and not go to church. My family didn't go to church. My family was part Creole, and, and my family was involved in drugs and alcohol and every illegal activity that the streets had to offer. That was my family. Even though to the point that I lived with my grandmother, and my grandmother was the neighborhood bootlegger. I was around me all the time, and, and therefore I grew up in that lifestyle, and, but I grew up very angry, though. I had a lot of questions that people seem to, seem to think that, well, you're just being hard-headed or rebellious. Why don't you just do it or just accept it as it is? And I had questions, and those questions went unanswered, and it made me angry. My dad was absent, but I go spend the summer with him. But he was really emotionally disconnected altogether. I spent every summer with my dad from the age of nine years old to 18 years old. And I think we had a one hour conversation. And I stayed with him every summer throughout 10 years. Just disconnected. But I love my dad. I wanted to be around him. And hey, I think a part of that had me angry. I really wanted, I wanted my dad to be a part of my life. I really felt like he could make a difference. I believe anything he'd tell me to do, I'd do it, just because he was my dad. 
But that made me turn my anger against my mom. I really hated my mom growing up. I don't even know why, but we just could never get along. I just like, man, I just, I just had it against her. And therefore, at the age of four years old, my mom sent me to live with my grandmother. And my grandmother raised me till I went to, till I graduated school. But throughout that time, I was angry, very angry. Growing up, one of the things in our family was a religious thing that we did every Sunday was you had to box in order to get a haircut. If you didn't want to box, you didn't want to fight, you don't get no haircut. So guess what? I started fighting. And so I started fighting for a haircut, but after a while, I started fighting for a hobby. I began to love violence. I began to think that, man, that's just a way for me to get this anger out. And I loved it and I wanted it more. But included with that was all kinds of drugs and alcohol. Just every day. I think we parted from Wednesday to Sunday every single week. That was not, my family was known for that. And then I went on and just going on through school and just angry and fighting and things. This come to the end of school year. And guess what? I'm angry because I don't even know what direction my life is going in. I, I want to do something. I want to be something. I have no idea what to do. 18 years old. What are you going to do with your life? I don't know. I'm angry about that. Guess what? One day a recruiter came to the house and said, hey, you want to join the military? I said, yeah. I thought he was just playing. <laughs> I did. I thought he was going to be like, this guy's not coming back over here. He did. He came back and I, I followed up on my word. That's the crazy. Some, sometimes that's crazy to me. It's like I actually went down there after he came back. And I did go down there and I, and I went down there and, and he said, what do you want to be? I said, hey, I want to go to the army. I want to kill people. That's what I wanted to do. I just want to go kill people. He said, oh, I got the job for you. He said, I'm going to send you to combat field artillery. I said, man, sign me up. Let's go. And I signed up for combat field artillery. I was in the, I was in the Army, and I, I served uh, three years. And, and, man, I tell you what, it gave me like a little out for my anger because it's just like, yeah, I can't wait for war. Good thing war never came for me. I probably would have been the first one dead. But um, I went through that. And then I got out of the military. I, at the time, I was stationed in Hawaii. I was living in Hawaii in the military, and I got out of the military and decided to stay in Hawaii because I've developed some friends. And my friends was all back in the streets, and I went right back to the streets after I got out of the military. About a year later, I was driving down the road of H1, H2 freeway. If you ever go to Hawaii, that's the only freeways you got. And I was driving down the road, and a guy pulled up on the side of me. And he looked at me, and he kind of gave me the head nod. Hmm. I looked at him, hmm. We kept driving. I thought in my mind, I said, I'm going to kill this guy right now. I said, this guy followed me down to the end of this road. I'm going to pull over and I'm going to shoot him and kill him. And that's exactly what took place. I drove down the road. He followed me. I pulled over on the side of the road. He pulled out the side of the road. I pulled out my gun, shot him and killed him right there on the spot. You know the crazy thing about that? I actually thought I had peace after I did that. But during that time, I, I get locked up, and I'm sitting in the county jail, and, and I'm just trying to fight my case and things like that. But there's a guy doing prison ministry, and he's passing out tracts to everybody. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what? What is this guy doing? And he's passing out tracts. He said, hey, young man, by the way, let me tell you, I was 22 years old when I went to prison. He said, hey, young man, want you, you want one of these? I said, sure, let me have one. And guess what? I did not take that track because I was interested in what he had. I took that track because I was trying to be nice to a man. I had no intentions on reading that. I took that track, threw it in my locker, 
Never thought about it again until four months later. Four months later, I'm sitting in my cell. I can't sleep. I'm angry. I'm murderous. I'm thinking I'm going crazy. Am I not going to be able to handle this prison time? What's going on with me? I said, hey, I know what I can do. I can pull out that piece of paper that that guy gave me, and it'll help me go to sleep. I pulled out that track to go to sleep, not to get saved. And so I pulled out that track, and the name of that track was, It's Two Ways, Two Roads, and Two Destinies for All Mankind. I don't remember nothing else it said, but at the end of it, it told me that I could pray to accept Jesus Christ into my heart, and that he'd come into my heart, he'd forgive me of my sins, and he promised that he'd change my life. I had no idea what that meant. I knelt down beside my bunk August 3rd, 1996. And I prayed to accept Jesus Christ in my heart and he came into my heart. Even after I got saved, I was still wondering what happened to me. I knew something happened in my heart. I just didn't know what happened. But from then on, God began to work in my heart. I went on to do 16 years in the penitentiary. I was 22 years old when I went in. I was 38 years old when I got out, and God had changed me through that prison experience. He really saved my life. I went to Bible college while I was in prison. Give y'all a little secret. I met my wife while I was in prison. Not everybody don't do that. Young people don't do that. No pen pal situation. I met my wife there, and there was a lot of things that took place in that prison ministry, but you know what? One of the things was is that this is my thoughts. And I believe many of you probably come here from friend day and invitation. And you came for like Brother Billy mentioned, all different kinds of reasons. You know what? I didn't read that track because I was looking for God. But guess what? God was looking for me. You might have came here for all different kind of reasons. You're trying to fulfill obligation. You told the guy you'd come. This is the fifth time you didn't told him and you came and we're glad to have you here. But maybe you came for that reason. Well, let me tell you something. You may not be looking for God, but God is looking for you. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Just open your heart up to just be attentive enough just to give God enough time to draw you to himself. And you can, without a doubt, like I did August 3rd, 1996, you can get up off your knees knowing that something has changed. Something happened to me today. August 3rd, 1996, I didn't have that. I didn't have nobody to tell it to. But I laid down in my bunk and I remember thinking in my mind, something happened to me tonight. My desire is this morning, something happened to you this morning that you would meet with God. And with that said, I want you to invite you to turn to your Bible in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, if you would, stand for the reading of God's word, just in respect of that. Acts chapter 27, we'll read verse 9 through 14. If you're one of the people that like titles, the title of this one is called Against the Winds. Against the winds. I do want to say this. I I hope y'all can appreciate it. Like, man, I don't think I ever preached to a congregation had that many black people. (laughs) That's exciting to me. That's exciting. I love my people. I do. But that's exciting. For real. Against the winds. 
Acts chapter 27, verses 9 through 14. Now, when much time was spent, and when Salem was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the laden, laden in ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosened thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Let's pray. Lord, I pray. God, that your Holy Spirit would just have liberty to work in every heart and every life. And uh, God, just to meet people exactly where they're at. I don't profess to know every situation and neither do I have to know. But God, your word is sufficient. And your grace is sufficient to meet every need. And God, I want to pray your help this morning. Help me. Help me to communicate your word. Help me to get across your truth. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just illumine your word to every heart and every mind that God, maybe there's some dark spots that need some light. And God, if that's so, I pray that they would see light and that they would respond to your light. And that they would draw near to you. God, I love you and just thank you again for this morning. We pray you get all the glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This is a long section of the book of Acts and specifically chapters 27 and 28 linked together. But it's a description about Paul's voyage to Rome. Paul is a prisoner during this time, and God had promised Paul that, Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome to preach the gospel in Rome. And Paul is desiring to go. But it's also in the middle of this, there's a voyage and a shipwreck. Paul is on his way to Rome. God said he's going to Rome, and yet he's on this journey through the ship, but the ship wrecks. You know, throughout ancient times, one of the things that become familiar about life is that we, we picture life as a journey. Or we picture life as a voyage. If you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, that's what John Bunyan did based off of his thing. But we sometimes use the voyage metaphor in everyday conversations like smooth sailing. Don't make shipwreck. Phrases like sink or swim. Or when a Christian dies, we might say he has reached the other shore. These are just terms that we're just familiar with that help us understand the voyage or the journey of life that we sometimes use. But in this passage of scripture, Luke is not using an allegory. He's talking about a real event to show how one man's faith can make a difference for him and others. Against the storms of life, against the winds and storms of life. So when you open up in chapter 27, verses 1 through 8, we didn't read it. One of the things we find out is that here the Paul is being transferred. I love this story, too, because he's a prisoner being transferred. Do we have any people that work for DOC, Department of Corrections? Okay, good thing. 
So y'all don't know nothing about being transferred. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but he's being transferred as a prisoner. And they're going from one place to another place and they encounter some winds on the journey. Because when I was in prison, I, they had moved me from Hawaii prison to Tennessee prison. And we call that Con Air. I was thinking, what would they call Paul's? Con Cell. Con Cell. And that's what's happening here. He's, they, they encounter some winds on the journey. And the thing about it is that these winds are pretty normal. They, that's just part of sailing. You, you're going to have winds. Some of them you look for, some of them you don't look for. That's just part of being on the water in some sense. But he also tells us in verse 4 and verse 7 that we didn't read that along this journey, the progress begins to slow down because of the winds. I'm going to read verse 4. And when we had lunch from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. He's telling us that as they begin to make their journey and the winds begin to blow against them, it begins to slow down the progress for them to get to Rome. But in verse seven tells us something else. And when we had sailed slowly many days and scars were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it. Here Paul brings, here Luke is the writer of, of Acts and he tells us that not only did they face winds against them and it slowed them down, he said, it got worse. And when it got worse, guess what happened? They made even slower progress. It, it, it became even much more difficult to get across. It, it made him, it slowed up the process of getting them where they supposed to go. It had already been a difficult journey now, just even between verses one through verses seven. From when they first set out, Paul is already, Luke is already communicating to us that, man, we, we're, we're on this journey and immediately we begin to face some winds that slow the progress. He said, but not only that, it started getting worse. He said the winds grew stronger and guess what? It meant that the boat began to move slower. He had slower progress. But also in this passage of scripture, the ideal of Acts 27 is that God wants Paul in Rome. I want you to keep in mind of that as well, because here is Paul in the center of God's will. And throughout the book of Acts, one of the things you find out is that being in God's will doesn't mean everything goes smooth. You find that through the book of Acts. You also see that you can be doing God's will in God's way, in God's time, and still have struggles. But Paul makes it. And we, we think of that because at the same time, that's just how life is, right? You, you can be doing exactly the right thing, the right way at the right time, and still have problems. They're just, just life. But we also see something about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, he's confident, though. He, he has a sense of surety or certainty that hey, he's right where God wanted him. And because of that, he's confident. He, he's like, I've been through this before. God, God has done some things in my life when things were just against me. And yet God accomplished his purpose. 
So Paul isn't really shaken by the winds or the slow progress that he's beginning to encounter. And therefore, he's just saying, hey, let's keep sailing. That's what we see from Paul. Let's just keep sailing. But then it comes a point in time where it brings up to our passage of Scripture this morning that we just read. I want to say something about the truth that uh, verses 1 and 8 says. Just because the wind is against you doesn't mean God is against you. Just because the winds are against you doesn't mean God is against you. But there's something else within this passage of Scripture that I want us to get this morning. And this is normal problems become big troubles when we listen to the wrong voice. I'm going to read that again for you. Normal problems become big troubles when we listen to the wrong voice. And that's what we find in this passage of scripture here that we read this morning, because here we find something taking place. They're at a particular place where they've stopped sailing. They've in some sense like in a port and they're at the point of do we continue to sail or do we stay put for till winter is past? And the the centurion, who is the, the guy that's leading the ship, the fact is he's faced with these two decisions. Do I stay put in Fair Havens in verse eight? Or do I set sail and face the storm? One thing you find out in this passage of scripture early on is this. This storm was unavoidable. This storm was avoidable. I want you to keep in mind. This storm was avoidable. I want to tell you this. The winds were normal. The storm was a choice. He chose that. And I want you to make that clear distinction in your own mind, in your heart this morning that I I, let me tell you something about me. Prison was a choice. I made a choice to go to prison. That was a choice. I could have avoided prison. But I made a decision that led me to prison. This guy is about to make a decision that's going to lead him to a storm that almost destroyed their life. Not only does he almost destroy his life, he almost destroys 276 people's lives over one decision because he listened to the wrong voice. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He had different voices in his ear. And that verse nine, Paul tells us now they had been at a place for a little time and they was just waiting to decide, do we continue this voyage or do we stop? And Paul admonished them, hey, we need to stop and wait. Paul like, wait, wait, wait. But then he had some other voices in his ear. And we want to look at that this morning. What are these other voices in the centurion's ear that have made him, that affected his decision? Every one of us is listening to somebody. Every one of us is listening to something that is causing us to make real deliberate decisions, even wrong ones. But you know what? You have an opportunity to hear the right voice and make the right decision that can preserve your life. And that's what happens in this particular point. The pilot, we, we find out the different voices that the centurion listened to. We notice that in verse 11, he said, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship. 
So first of all, here we have the master and the owner telling the centurion what to do. But there are some other people telling him what to do. Look in verse 12. Verse 12, he tells us, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to stay put. Let's look at a couple things here. There's two things involved that's affecting the centurion's decision. First of all, he's becoming impatient. He's becoming impatient. He's like, hey, we've been here long enough. Hey, let's, uh, we, we, we need to leave. Hey, let me tell you something. One of the most dangerous voices you to listen to is when your emotions are impatient. Amen. The impatience of our emotions. Because this guy is ready to go. He's ready to get these prisoners to Rome. And he's willing to go at any cost. Not considering even the blatant things that says, don't do it. And guess what? He's about to do it. So we have impatience affecting his decision. We have the master and the ship owner affecting his decision. And guess what? We have a lot more people affecting his decision. The Bible says this, the majority, verse 12, it says this, the more part advised to depart thence also. He said, the majority of the people start saying, hey, let's go. Let's go. He, it was almost like if it's the majority of people, it must be right. And that's what he's going off of. He's going off his impatience. He's going off of expert advice. He's going off the majority. But also another thing in verse 13 says this is another aspect that's affecting the centurion's decision. Verse 13 says this. Supposing, that's a key word, supposing, supposing that they had obtained their, pur their purpose, loosened this, he was trusting for an ideal condition. He felt like this is the ideal condition. And everything's put in place. It it's got to be. This is the time we go. And he says, supposing. But let's look at this. These are the voices that he heard that was pointing him in the wrong direction. He only had really one voice pointing him in the right direction. And whose voice was that? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul told him different. The, the Apostle Paul wasn't an expert on navigating on boats. But guess what? He had been in a few shipwrecks himself already. He had some experience. He wasn't an expert, but he had some experience. And another thing about this is that Paul is not having some supernatural premonition. He, he did not. God, God didn't come down and say, Paul, uh, tell the centurion, don't go. God didn't do that. When you look at the passage of scripture, Paul makes it very clear that, hey, this is just part of life. This is a season where it's wintertime. If you're in Oklahoma, we're going to tell you. Don't get married in May and June. Those are tornado seasons. Your wedding may end up in a tornado. And it's like, do God need to tell us that? No, it happens every year. It happens every year. It's part of the season. We have tornado seasons. And Paul is telling them the same thing. We're in this season. These storms is going to come. This is part of the time. If we wait, we survive. If we go, we potentially die. It's just a season. This is not some God came down and talked to him. It's just one man 
who understands the times, but he is also a voice for God. Paul is a voice for God, even though he's not telling, well, God told me, but he is a voice. And the centurion has to make a decision. Let me tell you a little bit about the picture here. The centurion listened to the wrong voice. And if we were to read Acts chapter 27, verse 37, it tells us that what happened was that they find out that the storm arises, as Paul said they would. The storm Euroculidon. And it shipwrecks the whole ship. All 276 people are fighting for their lives. But God told Paul, hey, you know what? I'm going to save them all for you. And therefore, we see the picture of how one man's faith makes the difference for himself and others. But let me tell you another thing about the centurion. One man's wrong decision almost cost 276 people their lives. I, I want to believe that there's some real hard decisions that you're here for. You're here this morning to make a hard decision. And this decision is going to affect you. But this decision is going to affect your family. It's going to affect your wife and your children. It's going to affect your immediate family. Decisions that you're going to make are going to affect Canaan Baptist Church. There's decisions you're going to have to make that's going to affect Covington, Georgia. There's decisions that you're going to have to make. And every one of us is listening to a voice this morning. I have to believe that there's already voices that you're listening to. But I want to give attention to this. I want you to do this. I know this is hard. I want you to give this time to give God's voice to be the loudest. I don't even know what that means for you, but I want, to, I want to ask you to let God's voice be the loudest this morning. Over all the other voices, let God's voice be the loudest. Because the truth is, when we look at this passage of scripture, it's also a picture of human life. It's a picture of you and me because he's showing us that sin's problem has some real disastrous consequences. It really does. Sin by its very nature can be like the problems of life. We all have them. We are sinners by nature, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we're also sinners by choice. You and I choose a flavor of sin. And therefore, we bear the consequences of that choice. But not only does we choose sin, we also understand that sin wrongly addressed or sin unaddressed will lead to disastrous outcomes. Hey, let me, let me say this. You can't just turn your blind eye to your bad condition. You just can't do it. You know, I, when I was in prison, I wanted to do that. You know, when, when I was in prison, one of the things I tried to do to make my prison time easy is cut off my family. I want no emotional attachment. I can just do my time. And I don't have to worry about my mom crying. I don't have to worry about people thinking about how I'm doing. Let me just cut them off. But you know what? That was a wrong way to address my sinful condition. And I have to believe that you're in here this morning. And there's some real decisions that you have to make. And for some of you, you're thinking the best way to do it is just cut it off. And you think that's the way to address it, but that's not the way to address it. But there's other ways you've been trying to address it. 
That's not the right way to address it. Let me tell you a little bit about sin when it's wrongfully addressed and or if it goes unaddressed, what it looks like. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You know, one sip of beer can lead to becoming an alcoholic. I mean, you think about it. One sip of beer and you become the most abusive father. One sip of beer, you become the most uh, uh, despiteful wife. And we don't think about that. Guess what? When they, when they sailed in there, they weren't thinking about what was the storm that they was going to face after they made this one decision. One uncontrolled thought of sex can lead to a pornography addiction. Amen. It can lead to years of pornography addiction. One emotional purchase can lead to a lifetime of debt. Just one emotional. I, I tell people all the time when I go door knocking, it's like, uh, how many sins do you have to commit to become a sinner? I mean, I want you to think about that because we live in a culture where sin is petty. It really don't mean nothing. That's, that's like a petty crime. You know, it's a misdemeanor. I, I've never heard of anybody on death row for a misdemeanor. But God, Adam committed one wrong of disobedience and God said, you're going to die for that. I want you to understand that because sometimes we look at our sinful condition as a misdemeanor. We just bond out. But the truth is, it's very serious. He said, it's deathly serious. One decision of listening to the wrong voice can lead to some disastrous outcomes. What about this? One uncontrolled act of anger can lead to 16 years in the penitentiary. Well, first of all, it can lead to second degree murder. Thirdly, 16 years in prison. Just one act of uncontrolled anger. And I spent 16 years in prison for murdering another person. That's what he's talking about here. This guy's listening to some voices and he chose to listen to the wrong voice. And that one decision almost caused 276 people their life. But the ultimate consequences for sin unaddressed or sin addressed the wrong way is this. The Bible makes it very clear. Hell is the consequence. And I can't imagine the thought of that. I mean, the reality of choosing to reject Jesus Christ, having an eternal consequence where hell is the outcome. Also, we know about this passage of scripture it tells us a little about how sin grows. And it's an amazing thing. It's like, you know what? I didn't just wake up one morning and kill somebody. I woke up angry for years that eventually led to the murder of another person. The truth is, most people, one sip of beer don't make you an alcoholic, but it could sure lead to where you can't stop drinking. Amen. It's just the truth about that. 
And he wants us to see that in this passage of scripture because the decision that he made. Sin unaddressed or sin addressed the wrong way goes from a slow progress to a seemingly hopeless situation that will affect you and everyone around you. How many of you honestly, don't raise your hand, I don't want you to incriminate yourself. <laughs> Plead the fear. How many of you honestly have this attitude? It's my decision. It's only affecting me. I can handle it. Truth is, it's not just your decision. You can't handle it. And it does affect other people. And he finds that in this passage of scripture where he shows up and he makes this decision and they sails into this storm that cost almost 276 people's lives. But you know what? Man, does God show himself so good in this passage, though, too? Because ultimately, by God's grace, he saves all 276 of them in spite of the storm. And he shows us that because at the same time, though you're here this morning, and you've maybe never accepted Jesus Christ into your life. But let me tell you something. You, you know without a shadow of a doubt, you're facing some winds. Some of you probably even really secretly facing some storms. And you're going to make a decision this morning. Which voice you're going to listen to? And it's going to depend on how you're going to sail when you go out those doors. And you have to make a real decision about that because when God saw the picture of, of Paul in this passage, one of the things that God had in place, he had a remedy for the condition. God has a remedy for your sinful condition. God has a remedy. Maybe you're in a storm this morning and God still want to save you. His remedy is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer to your sin problem. It's not that you're just going to handle it, not that you're just going to get better. The Bible makes it very clear that God loves you. And because he loved you, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And that because of his death, you by faith can live. That's what God offers you. That's the voice that God has for you, even this morning. But are you hearing other voices? Voices like this. It's not so bad. It's not affecting anyone else. I'll wait. That's a good one. I'll wait. I, I don't have to do it now. Maybe here and you're just saying, you know, you, you know, there's some other things you want to do. And you're just going to put off dealing with the wind. Until you face the storm. But Romans 10, 13 says this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You, you can be, hey, let me take some. You can be going through the winds and God want to save you from these avoidable storms. Right. Amen. God want to save you from some of the things that you're going to have to face if you refuse to listen to him this morning. I wonder what my life would have been like. I, I can honestly say that I don't think I heard the gospel growing up. We didn't have people door knocking in my neighborhood or that I ever saw. But I wonder if I just had a different voice than the voices I was used to 
I wonder if I'd accepted Jesus. I wonder what the direction of my life would have been. I have no idea of how that actually would have turned out. But I mean, if I responded to Christ later on, praise the Lord. But I wonder, could this been avoided? If I'd heard a different voice. If I'd heard God's voice telling me that Jesus would save me from my sin. I'm telling you this morning. He wants to save you from your sin. But I also have to. Believe this. Some of you are going through things for the purpose. Listen to me. Some of you are going through some things this morning simply for the purpose that God wants to bring you into a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, this morning. God really want to save you. But also, too, some of you are going through a storm that could have been prevented if you have listened to the right voice the first time. But Acts 27, 37 say, even though they went through the storm, God still saved them. Hey, by God's grace, you're here this morning. That means this. You have another opportunity to respond. You still can be saved. I want to make this clear. Just because God saved them through the storm don't mean they just because God spared them through the storm didn't mean they were saved spiritually. And I, I really believe that many of you, God has been gracious to you. and he's, He didn't put his hand on you on a lot of different things, but you've never really got saved. God spared you from health condition. He spared you from uh, 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 various other issues. He, he's probably even helped you with different addictions. And yet at the same time, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. But sadly, sadly, I have to put this in here. Sadly, some of you are going to have to go through an unnecessary storm because you refuse to listen to the Lord this morning. That's a sad thing. Is that some of you, you're going to hear it, you shake your head to it, and you're going to walk out and say, I'll do it later. I'll do it next time. But the Bible makes it very clear that tomorrow's not promised. But today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. If God has spoken to your heart, you need to trust Christ today. I want to tell you again, normal problems become big troubles when you refuse to listen to God about your sin. Who are you listening to this morning? Did you hear from the Lord? Do you really recognize that your decision is affecting those around you? Husbands, do you know your decision is affecting your wife? Parents, do you believe, do you know your decision is affecting your children? Siblings, your decision is affecting your siblings. Canaan, your decision is affecting your community. I want to ask you again, who are you listening to this morning? If you plan to be saved from unnecessary storms, you have to decide to listen to God's words. Let's stand. Father, I thank you so much this morning. God, as we get ready for the invitation and just a time to allow people to respond to what they've heard, 
I, I really want to believe that, God, that you want to say something very clear. You want to say something very specific. And I believe that you want them to do something with what you have said. God, our desire that not a person here will leave here without a clear confidence, knowing that Christ is my Savior. I know that something happened in my heart. I know that I'm going in a different direction because they listened to your voice and they responded to you by faith. Lord, I pray, God, have your way even now. If you're making a decision to listen to God this morning, I don't know how Brother Ingram and them do it, but I'm going to turn it over to him in a minute. And I just want to ask you to, to respond, to really do what God said do. If you need to be saved, don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Turn to Christ this morning. I also, too, want to say this to the church. <clears throat> Maybe you've been saved for some time. And you've just kind of got used to how things are and just used to normal problems. But maybe God is saying, hey, you know what? He, he wants you to just trust him more. Maybe today just say, God, I just want to learn to trust you more in the winds of time so that, God, we can avoid some of these unnecessary storms. And I trust that God will be able to work with you as he desires. I turn this over to Brother Billy.